John 2, 12 to 25 says this. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and when Jesus, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when therefore he raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to come before you and worship and come and um, proclaim your word over our hearts and in this place. God, I ask your Holy Spirit to guide every uh, word that is spoken here this morning, every prayer that is prayed, uh, every one of our hearts, God, I pray that you be calling us closer to yourself. And I thank you for this passage and pray uh, that your truth will be proclaimed from it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> so, this morning we're talking about the temple, and uh, I've got pictures of a temple. Boom! temple. There you go. So um, I want to start just talking about the temple uh, a little bit here. Uh, The temple for the Jews uh, was really, while it's a physical structure at which uh, they would come and and, uh, perform rituals and worship, um, it's really more than just the physical structure. The physical structure of it is impressive. This is actually the temple uh, that was in Jesus' time, and this is the temple that Herod completed. And as the text says, it took around 46 years uh, for it to be completely finished. And there's a number of aspects of this temple that I just want to point out so you sort of know what you're looking at instead of just a big blob here. Uh, This whole temple area is called the Temple Mount. So it's raised up from uh, Jerusalem a little bit. Jerusalem itself is sort of a city that's set sort of up in relation to the rest of the area around it. Um, And so it's sort of, you know, there's a geography element to it. Um, In every little section that you go to, there's a slight increase of elevation. There's a step up, you know, to the one from one court to the next and, and so on and so forth. Um, the temple proper is this area right here, this uh, square right here. And inside that square, there are a number of designated areas that, uh, as you grow closer to the center, have more and more restriction upon who and uh, how someone is able to go in. 
Uh, first, we have here the court of the Gentiles. So on this court, any person is allowed to come in, uh, whether Gentile or Jew, they were able to come up onto the Temple Mount and come into this court area here around. Right after that, there's this wall right here. This is a short wall. It's like four feet, you know, tall. It's not a very large wall, but, uh, but the wall has little cuts in it. And at each cut in there, there's a sign, which we've talked about before, that says, basically, if you're a Gentile and you go past this, uh, your passing it is punishable by death. This is important. This became important when Paul was uh, at the Temple Mount and he was accused of having an Ephesian with him go into this area uh, that was restricted. And so that was sort of the charge against him that got him into a big ruckus. And so this is the temple, or this is the court of the Gentiles here, and this is the court of Israel, the court of uh, uh, the Jews. And so no Gentile could go beyond that point. Around, uh, in, inside that is the sort of temple structure, the buildings, and these buildings along the edges are really just like storage areas, uh, places where they'd keep extra basins and bins and animals and, uh, and where priests might have some uh, quarters, you know, to prepare and such. Um, and inside of that, there's a square court here, and this is called the Court of the Women. And the women were allowed to go that far into the temple, the, the Jewish women. They were able to go into here. And this area, they say, holds around 6,000 people. So during a time of like, you know, worshiping, there could be 6,000 people here. Uh, so definitely during Jesus' time at this point, there's probably lots of people cram-packed in there. Um, and so the court of the women was where the, the furthest point in the temple at which the female Jews could go. Beyond that is a small court of uh, the men, uh, which is a small portion, sort of right between the Court of Women and the, the Temple Mount itself. Um, and that's where uh, men who weren't Levites could go to that point. Beyond that, surrounding this uh, temple itself, actually, I'm going to, I think we've got a closer image of that now. Yep, here we go. Boom. Um, beyond that is where the priests would prepare uh, their sacrifices right outside uh, the, the, the temple itself. And so as you see, you're sort of going closer and closer, a little bit more separation and more separation and more separation with each little court. And one of the things that you're seeing is while the, the people are sort of being pared down in terms of who can go there, the majesty and glory of each section is increasing and increasing. And in fact, the perfect sort of uh, symmetry and nature of it is also sort of increasing and coming and so uh, you come into Herod, uh, into the temple here. I think I've got, do have one? Yeah, here we go. All right. And so this is inside the temple itself. Um, as you came in here, the priest uh, would come in here and there's the, uh, the bread of the presence and uh, the, um, the incense, altar of incense here and uh, the... Um, I'm losing the name here. The candles, uh, which were lit throughout to keep the keep light inside this section here, and then the the veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. And there, in the most holy place, is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And this is where once a year the priest would go in and make one sacrifice for the sins of all the people um, there. And he he actually went in like attached to a rope, 
so that if he died in the presence of God, they could someone could pull him out without like going in themselves. Um, and so as you see, it's sort of uh, you know smaller and smaller, but also more majestic and more majestic. The purpose of all this sort of uh, structure and uh, design is really to give us an image that as you go closer and closer to the center of this thing, you're actually drawing closer and closer to God's presence itself. So whilst you're really in like a horizontal approach to the middle, in reality, you're getting a picture of being closer and closer to heaven, a vertical connection uh, in some ways to God. And so even as you go from uh, here to there, you're, you're seeing some palm trees at first, but you know, on this, uh, this uh, curtain, you actually see angels and things like woven into the curtain. And so even in some of the detail work, the imagery that you're seeing is that on the inside, you are really seeing heaven itself. You're as if you are at the throne of God. It's an approach to God's presence that is on display. Now, this isn't a foreign method to the time, right? Uh, at the time, there were other faiths that would have similar structures. And there, this is a ziggurat from, uh, uh, from ancient Near Eastern times in, in 2000, beyond 2000 BC. And as you see, there is a, you know, a vertical approach. And it is said that, you know, there's uh, uh, rituals performed at the top that would invoke God and connect to God some way. And so, uh, what we see in the temple itself is a more perfect expression of coming into God's presence and seeing him and what was wrapped up in that. So this is sort of our location, right, for what's going on today in the passage. And, uh, and what's happening today in the passage is actually we're beginning Passover. And Passover is this celebration of when uh, the Israelites were saved out of Egypt. It commemorates this time when they uh, come out of Egypt and become really their own nation. And it's at that time that they're given sort of a smaller version of this called the tabernacle, and that travels with them wherever they go until they come into Israel. And so while we're here in, in the Passover, and while all these people have come into worship, we see sort of this, this context that Jesus is walking into when he comes to celebrate the Passover. This is supposed to be a solemn place where you come and can worship in majesty uh, the presence of God. Whether, whether Jew or Gentile. The Gentiles were allowed up, could really see a lot of what was happening. They, could, they didn't have a front row seat like the men, but they could be up on the Temple Mount hearing what's going on, seeing really the smoke of the sacrifices and things, talking to people, hearing people sing songs, uh, maybe uh, praying themselves was the intention. The whole structure of it is meant to bring you to a realization that God is holy. You don't just like stroll up and say, hey man, how's it going? That he's separate, that, that, that no darkness can come into his presence. He is set apart in a very particular manner and way. And, and that's the picture that the temple is supposed to show us, that God is. He's set apart. He is holy. The approach to God isn't just casual and, uh, and easy. 
In fact, you know, again, one person out of the whole of Israel every year goes into the very center of this structure. Only a handful are able to go into the holy place. Uh, only a little bit larger group are able to go on the temple mount itself. And so um, you see this picture that, that God is holy and that we have to be um, sort of diligent about coming into his presence and that it's a, it's a solemn and um, worshipful experience when you are here. Okay, so let's uh, return to our passage. Verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and money changers sitting there. So in the temple, they're selling things. <laughs> now, Selling things is fine. Jesus has actually no problem with them uh, selling things. It's really a matter of convenience. People are coming from all over the Mediterranean to come and celebrate the Passover. Turns out they probably didn't like bring their oxen with them on the journey. Um, and so it was very common for someone to buy an oxen when they arrived in Jerusalem. But it was never intended for them to be sold as if this were a butcher shop here on the Temple Mount. In fact, what we understand is most likely where they were being sold and where this activity was happening was here in the court of the Gentiles. That should be quite disturbing because one of the calls to the people of Israel is that they would be a blessing to the nations. And here's the only opportunity for a Gentile in the area to come and experience what it is to worship God. And their whole area has been filled with the noise of selling oxen and sheep and changing of money. And changing the money was, was okay as well. It turned out the temple tax had to be paid in the most pure form of silver. Uh, it was the Tyrrhenian uh, uh, coin that was the most pure of silver. And so if you came from somewhere else and had a different currency, you had to exchange it for the proper currency to pay your temple tax. So all these things, it's fine that these things were happening. But that they were happening right here on the temple mount is what Jesus has a problem with. And the other records of his time on the Temple Mount driving, uh, driving out those who were there selling, he says, my house is to be a house of prayer. And that uh, passage that he's quoting, it says, uh, my house is to be a prayer for all nations. You aren't to be just turning this property into a place where you sell your, your uh, goods. Jesus wasn't concerned necessarily about the selling and uh, trading. He knew that was a, a measure that had to be taken in order for the Passover celebrations to continue and that they were, in fact, good and instituted by God, these sacrifices and these, uh, these uh, payment for the temple tax and its upkeep. This isn't a small structure. It turns out it's very, uh, it takes probably a lot of money to maintain and uh, make sure this thing is well kept. And so those things he was totally okay with. What he wasn't okay with was the noise of all that was happening there at the temple. So, verse 15. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house 
a house of trade. This place is not meant to be a marketplace. It's meant to be a place of reflection and of prayer. I thought about putting a little skit in right here and having someone go grind some coffee for me and, you know, pull some shots or something. You know, it'd be really as if that, right? Like if we were in worship and, uh, you know, it's okay that we've got grinders here. It's not a problem, actually. Uh, But what if I like, while we're singing this beautiful song that we finished with, right? All sons and daughters. I just walk over there and like start grinding beans in the middle of it while we're trying to reflect on the nature of God and who he's called us to be, right? That's the problem. When we interrupt the majesty and worship of God. He says, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And at that, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so as he does this, and, you know, a very authoritative thing to do, and, you know, to drive the animals out, and to start turning people's tables over, and basically to make a decision that this wasn't right, and then to do something about it, um, it's not that the, uh, the, the Jewish leaders had any sort of grounds to object against him. They probably realized as he's doing it, yeah, that's probably right, You know, so they don't come at him with, you can't do that. It's okay for them to sell here. Like, that's not the word that they come at him with. They respond with this. What sign do you show us for doing these things? Their basic question is, what's the authority by which you are taking this into your hands? Jesus, we just have met you. Like, who are you, in fact? Who are you and by what authority do you start you know, taking a whip out and taking these animals off the Temple Mount and turning over people's tables and things like, by what authority are you coming with? They don't challenge what he did, they challenge who he is. And that's what John wants to communicate to us, really, that Jesus has an authority to go forward and do the things that he is going to do. Here specifically and in his ministry continuing. Jesus' response to them is this. Jesus answers, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? I mean, they're literally thinking, you are a crazy person. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what does that even mean? You know, you're going to build this in three days. 46 years it's taken to build this thing. John reveals to us that he's speaking about the temple of his body. And he reveals even further to us that later, um, when Jesus is raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. all those little pieces and fragments of seeing Jesus' ministry and what he was doing and being confused maybe about the actions that he's taking throughout his life, when he's raised from the dead, come into complete focus. Like, oh, he literally meant raise this temple in three days, his body. It wasn't figurative at all. It was actually very literal.
what we see here is that while there is a very physical nature to what we do, who we are, and, and even to the picture of worship in here, there's a physical nature to it. There's a spiritual reality. Does God really require, like does he really need bulls to satisfy him? Is that, is, like, is that what he was going for? I just want to like see a bunch of bulls butchered. That's like, that's what I'm going for here. No. It wasn't about his lack. He didn't need the incense of the offering to go up to him. He didn't need that. He didn't need the bulls to be sacrificed for him. He didn't need the temple to be maintained by a temple. He didn't need that. What he desired was that people would realize who he is and his character. The sacrifices weren't to satisfy him. They were to show us who he is, most, most importantly. Especially in the Old Covenant, they were more about demonstrating who he was and who he is than simply his need of it. In fact, in the prophets, we see that very thing being stated. And in the Psalms, I'm not satisfied by your uh, blood offerings and your sacrifices. What I'm after is your heart. I want you to know me. I want you to know me that I'm a holy God and I have come to draw you unto myself and want to have a relationship with you. I've called you apart and set you apart. It is said of the people of Israel that they're a kingdom of priests. They're called to be a holy nation. Not just the priest. The nation is called to be holy. Well, in the practical pragmatics of it, one group is selected to do such and thus, but the reality is the entire nation is called to be set apart and to be holy. There's a spiritual reality to this physical structure. The physical structure is just showing us more about who God is and who we are. Who we are, we're broken. We need a sacrifice. We need, like personally, we need a sacrifice to pay for our sin. I've broken God's law and I am, I've broken covenant with him by doing so. And so, yeah, I need a sacrifice to come into God's presence and to know him. That's the picture we need to see is that, that God, God is the one who saves. Our sacrifice to him it's a picture of that, that it's not in my hands, Lord, it is in your hands. And so there's a spiritual reality to the temple, and that spiritual reality doesn't like end uh, when the old covenant passes away and Jesus comes into the picture. In fact, right here in this uh, response to the Jewish leaders, it says, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. He was speaking not about this temple, but about his body. It's calling his body the temple. In three days, I'll raise it up. What is the temple about? Chiefly, the temple is about the presence of God. It's about where God's presence lies. And in Jesus, we see the fullness of God does dwell. And so he really is the first real temple there is. He is the presence of God. He is God. That's why he says, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. 
the beautiful thing about this is that in the Old Covenant, you would approach this, and again, you would bring your sacrifices to it, and you'd see in a general sense the picture that God is holy and, and that you are not holy and that you need something to stand in for you. And see that picture in a grand scheme here. But with Jesus, the, the picture changes and it gets a little bit more personal. And the fact is, the testimony of Scripture is that not only is Jesus showing us that he is the temple, but in fact, at his resurrection and beyond his resurrection, we see that we become the temple. My daughter this past week, uh, I think it was earlier in the week, maybe, maybe last Sunday, and I've shared this with some of you, but um, said, Dad, our church is like a half church. <laughs> I was like, what? Explain, what, do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> our church is a half church. This is Hattie. I said, well, you know, it doesn't, have pu- it doesn't have those couches. That's how she put it. It doesn't have those couches that are in a row with the aisle down the middle. You mean pews? <laughs> yeah, you know. It's like, oh, you mean like Momo's church, you know, or your grandma's church where they've got the, yeah. She said, yeah, it's not like that. I was like, yeah, well. The church is no longer about the building anymore. So I got to talk to her some about that. It really isn't about, I mean, we meet in a coffee shop. Obviously, I believe that. It's not about the building. Um, it's really not. It's about the people that have become the temple of God. 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17, and we've studied this, so you all know this passage. Uh, do not know that you are God's temple and the, God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And those, all those yous there in this particular passage are plural. So you church of the Corinthians, you are the God's temple. You people join together. You are God's temple. This is exactly what I share with my daughter, right? It's not about exactly how the structure looks. In different countries, the building looks very different. You know, some have pews, some don't have pews, some sit at tables, some don't sit at tables, some probably sit on floors in hiding in the back of a house. It's no less a church. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in you yourselves. At a corporate level, a church is about us gathering together and is standing in the presence of God and proclaiming Him as holy and calling Him to come into our lives. It's that in a corporate sense. It's also that in a personal sense. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. In that case, we're talking about you as an individual, you a person. Your body, Christian, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside you when you accepted Jesus by faith. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. A temple that was destroyed for you and rose again is how you come into the presence of God, is how your body transforms into the temple of the Holy Spirit.
why Jesus is so zealous about this is that his passion is that we would know the presence of God. He's, he's zealous about it uh, from an old covenant standpoint, right? Because he hasn't died on the cross yet. He's just begun his ministry. And so he's zealous about making sure this picture, until he does die on the cross and does change this into a new covenant, making sure this picture is continued to be accurate of who God is and who we are. And so even while he knows this thing is passing away, I mean, he knows that in a few years' time, this thing is gone. He knows beyond that in in terms of its significance. He knows beyond that that in 70 AD, the thing is wiped out entirely physically and has not been rebuilt to this day. He knows that. So why is he concerned about whipping oxen out of the thing and pouring over money tables? Because he still is passionate about seeing the Father's presence and holiness understood. Because it's God's holiness that demanded a pure and perfect sacrifice to be made. He himself destroyed this temple and in three days I will raise it. He says, do you know at what cost the presence of God comes? Comes at my body and my blood being shed for you. Don't make this into a place of trade. So we'll go with this, that just as Israel was saved out of Egypt and set apart as a holy nation unto God. We too, as believers, we have been saved from oppression and bondage to sin and and sin and darkness. (laughs) Let us no longer let our temple be a place of trade a place where such noise is happening that we don't see the very presence of God. And the real question for us to think about today, uh, you know, especially as believers, is what noise are we letting into our temple? We believe that our bodies, our physical experience in this life is a picture of the temple of the Holy Spirit inside of us individually and corporately. What noise are we letting clutter the temple. I know I've cluttered my temple even this week, you know, with stuff that may not matter, stuff that's going to pass away. Romans 12, 1 and 2 calls us to this concerning our bodies. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God has called us to be a temple of the Holy Spirit, and he's given us each a particular calling in that. And what it looks like is our families and our coworkers and our friends. It looks like the vocation he's given us ability to accomplish. It looks like all of these things working together for the glory of God. 
putting on display for those that see where our hope lies. That it doesn't lie in our comfort and satisfaction in this life, but rather in our comfort and satisfaction in eternal life with our God, which has started today in Him. Let us have a zeal for the Lord's presence just as Jesus did and not, not allow clutter and distraction to come into our lives. Let us truly uh, live in an understanding of the words of 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So glorify God even in your body. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you've restored us unto your presence in Jesus. And that at great cost you have done so. God, let us live in honor of that. Let us live glorifying you for what you have done. Make us aware of how glorious your presence is and what price you paid for it. God, let us not clutter our lives with noise, but let us be purposeful and joyful in your presence. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you sent him to die for us, that we might have life in him through him. We pray that our lives would reflect that so much so that those around us would know where our hope lies and where they can attain it is at the foot of the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.